Welcome to Hallmarked Up with Mary and Sarah. Welcome to another episode of Hallmarked Up. We're getting towards the end of the season here, although we're still debating about what to do in the new year. Uh, this week, we are we're talking about not a Christmas movie, their, their little Hanukkah movie, Love Lights Hanukkah, and we have a guest with us, Diane. Welcome to the show. Hi, everyone. Thanks for having me. Thanks, Thanks for being here. We, we needed to have a bit of a, an expert um, on this because Mary and I were both raised Catholic, so the, our understanding of Judaism is very minimal. So Diane has been brought in for that specific reason. Oh. But also because she's extremely funny and clever. Both of these things will be helpful for this podcast. So I think we'll probably just get started by talking about what this what happened in this. This, um, this isn't the first Hanukkah movie we watched. Last year they had a sort of attempt, but this yeah, one was, last year was a there bit was better. that double holiday one, which um, I I don't think I saw it. Maybe you did it. On I remember a little bit about it. I don't think I watched the whole thing, but it was about someone hiring a man to come home with her for Christmas to fool her parents into thinking she had a boyfriend, only to find out that he's actually Jewish and he doesn't know anything about Christmas. So that's what that's what that one was about. But anyway, this was a and better, there was also another girl. one last year that I remember seeing the previews for where she's Jewish and an event planner who's planning a Christmas gala or something. Oh, that's right. Um, that's right. I and then of course she falls in love with someone who celebrates Christmas. And which I do think it's significant and like worth mentioning that um Hanukkah movies on the Hallmark channel only tend to happen when there is a strong Christmas element in them. Um, so we never get like just a Hanukkah movie. In fact, when we'll talk about when we get into the summary of this one, this one has its dramatic climax on Christmas Eve, um, after Hanukkah's over, actually. And so, um, I, you know, I do think that's significant. And I don't know if that's just like a Hallmark audience or what it is, but Hallmark um, seems to want to throw in a token Hanukkah movie every year, but without actually making it like not a Christmas movie. <laughs> that's very true. And we, we should say that. We, the reason we're doing this one a bit late is because originally in the schedule it wasn't supposed to be on until about the 20-something of December. Then it's I think supposed they to realized, air the 20th, which was after Hanukkah's over. Yeah, which was after Hanukkah. So they then decided, oh shit, we better move this up in the in the lineup. And then we kind of missed it and missed our chance. So we're, we're coming back to one that was already on. And of course, it did re-air on Christmas Day. So um, it's relatively fresh in our minds. So let's see. Mary, tell us, what what's happening in this movie? All right, so Christina Rossi, played by Mia Kirshner, is a restaurant owner. She owns an Italian restaurant called Dolce Angelo, which was her mother's family business. But her mother has died in the past year, and this will be her first Christmas without her. Christina is also an adoptee. She was adopted by single mother Sophia. And, um, yeah, raised around this Italian restaurant that she now owns and runs. Um, her Christmas wish is to have people to love, which I found the saddest and most pathetic thing I, I, I've ever heard. <laughs> but she's having a rough year. So her mother just died and she just ended a four-year engagement that we don't hear a ton about. So in search of her roots, she takes a DNA test. There's this talk with her friend about how she wanted to be related to all these famous Italians. They're like, oh, what if you find out that you're a Versace or a Gucci or whatever? And she actually finds out that she's 50% Jewish. 
To which her friend says, I guess the tenors and villas are off the table, which was one of the WTF moments of this movie for me, as if like Jews are not allowed to sing tenor or have villas. Yeah, and as yeah, if there's not such a thing that. as an Italian Jew, which, by the way, there is. Um, of course. Of course. <laughs> so anyways, she finds out she's Jewish, and then she gets in touch with Becky, who is listed as a close relative on the you know, DNA test website, and they want to find out how they're related. So she goes and she meets Becky's family. And in the course oh, of meeting I should, Becky's... I should add that when this was actually on the channel, now we watched the commercial-free version, but when it was on... Every other ad was Ancestry DNA, obviously oh my sponsored God. by Ancestry. <laughs> so she meets Becky and she's going to meet Becky's family. And she also meets a close family friend of Becky's family. One David Singer, played by Ben Savage of Boy Meets World fame, who I personally feel had something of a glow up. I, I don't know how you guys felt about this, but like, I, I thought he was pretty cute. I'm just saying didn't think he was amazing in like the acting sense but you know like wood just saying wood (laughs) i was really excited he was going to be on this that's for sure but then i will talk about that too but i don't think they gave him much to work with so we'll we'll, no that's true it was not uh, to be fair these are rarely you know the kind of roles that win one an oscar but so david is a close family friend and he is a food critic who it turns out has reviewed Dolce Angelo, Christina's restaurant, and he kind of panned it. He wrote that the food was, like, solid but predictable. And so this keeps coming back. She's like, oh, yeah, you thought my food was predictable. You thought my lasagna was predictable. But, of course, they're in love, like, immediately, and they start hanging out all the time. Meanwhile, we find out that Becky's mother is actually Christina's biological mother as well. Her name is Ruth. And her story is that when she was very, very young, she studied abroad in Italy and married an Italian man named Giorgio, and his parents disapproved of the match, and they ended up getting an annulment, but then when she got back to the States, she found out she was pregnant, and she gave the baby up for adoption. Now, I just want to point out that only in Hallmark, like, you have to have a bio mom story where it turns out that she was definitely legally wed, because God forbid someone have done it outside of wedlock. Of course. So anyways, obviously, you could see that Christina is about to be invited to spend Hanukkah with her new family, which, of course, she does, and she offers to host the last night. There are lots of traditions and lots of things that they do together. And in the meantime, she starts getting to know Ben Savage's character, David, a lot better, and they start spending a lot of time together. And there's not really a ton of plot that happens here, but I'll just review some of the sort of touching things that everyone does together. So they, of course, spend Hanukkah together. They eat latkes. Mother and daughter make latkes. They have a friend who's always inventing new kinds of latkes, including the guaca latka, which, like, not going to lie, I want to try that. David suggests that she incorporate some Italian Jewish cuisine into her restaurant, including the carciofi alla giuda, which is this Roman dish that, you know, is associated with Italian Jewish cuisine. And it's an artichoke dish. It's very, very good. If, if you're ever in Rome, I definitely do recommend trying it. He referred to, like, the Jewish influence on Italian cuisine, but stopped short of referring to, like, Italian Jewish cuisine because they're still sort of treating Italian Jewish as if it's an oxymoron, which, again, it's definitely not. Like, there are Jews in Italy. It's a thing. They exist. They've existed for a very long time. Then she and David listen to the Lou Monty Christmas album together, and she shares her fond memory of Dominic the Donkey, of all things. Like, come on. Who has fond Christmas memories associated with Dominic the Italian Christmas Donkey? But whatever. Ruth asks David's advice for a gift for Christina, and he says that she really wants to get in touch with her dad, and so she should do something with that. David and Christina go to this 
menorah lighting. There's a night where there's a blackout in the restaurant and they end up having a candlelight dinner and it's very romantic. Eventually, David ends up getting Giorgio's number from a friend in Sicily. I don't know. This is very, it's very unclear to that me. That was super far-fetched that that would have been a thing that could have happened. Well- you know, his friend's buddy's dad was in the army, and you're in the Italian army, you know everyone else in the army. So right, right. It's the thing about the Italian military. Because <laughs> there are only, like, four people in it, so they all know that's each right. other. That's right. They're all, and then even then, they're probably all related, so it's fine. It's very easy right. to do. Yeah. Right. Um, I, I was recently reading one of my favorite books and discussing with some friends, The Woman in White. It's this Victorian thriller by Wilkie Collins. If you haven't read it, I do recommend it. But something my friends and I laugh at is that the, without spoiling too much, part of the ending really hinges on the assumption that all Italians know each other. And it's hilarious. Like there's this Italian villain and then there's this Italian good guy. And like the ending really does hinge on like, I need to find out what his secret is. How about if I ask my other Italian friend? Um, And it's great. So yeah, it reminded me of that. So David's Sicilian friend is able to get him in touch with Giorgio. Ruth calls Giorgio, who didn't know they had a daughter together. And I love this. She calls him and he picks up the phone and he is cooking and listening to opera. And do we think he was in a villa? (laughs) He might have been in a villa. I don't know. Maybe he's rich. It's unclear. He's delighted to hear from Ruth. I think there's like a 90% chance that if there's ever a sequel, he and Ruth get back together. He's delighted that he has a daughter and he really wants to hear from her. Meanwhile, Christina rejects David. So here's the thing. David comes to Christina and she's like in an off mood and he's like, oh, you want to go ice skating or something? By the way, this is me asking you out on a date, which is really odd because like he makes this big deal of like, this is a date as if they haven't had one yet when like they literally had a romantic candlelight dinner together. And, you know, with all these other forward about that, too, which was really weird how you said that. And they've definitely, because they've definitely been dating this whole time is the thing that's funny about that. Like there's been no ambiguity, I I don't think. But anyways, and she tells him that, you know, because he is, he's a food critic, he's very cosmopolitan, he's just gotten rid of his apartment there in Cleveland, by the way, in Cleveland, and he um, is leaving town and he's going to travel around Europe and do research for his book. And so she's like, you know, you're leaving. I, you know, she needs some stability in her life. And she tells him, I can't keep up with all the changes right now. And so, you know, she's presumably ending things with him. However, they've had their nice, like, last night of Hanukkah together with the family and with David there, obviously. And everybody exchanged gifts. He gave her a menorah. She gave him this bottle of wine with a family significance. And her mother gave her a portrait of her father and gave her her father's phone number so that she can call him. So this all ends up at Christmas Eve dinner when she gets up the courage to call her dad, who is thrilled to hear from her. And he's like, all I've wanted is to hear from you. You have to come to Italy. And that's the entire conversation is he says, you must come to Italy. And she's like, "Okay, dad, you know, I can't wait. Bye. I'm like, anyway, so now you can guess what's coming next, because David's about to go to Italy to do research for his book. And so David tells her, you know, we can take things as slow as you want, but I want you to know that I'm going to Europe for six weeks. And then after that, I'm coming back to Cleveland and buying a house and settling down. And I want to be with you. And she's like, that's great. I want to be with you, too. And they decide to go to Italy together, which is the least hallmark thing to happen in this movie, because I don't know how that's going to work. Like, are they going to share hotel rooms and not be married or like what? But um, they're going to Italy together. Yeah. Yeah. What am I missing? That's the end of the movie. Everybody loves everybody. Christina got her Christmas wish to have a new family or to have people to love. She's got a new family and she's got a new lover. Uh, and yes, and a new boyfriend. Really so everything's good. As per usual. 
As per usual, yes. I just have one thing. Mm-hmm. So at the beginning, because I was like really trying to like do my homework and like watch this movie right. But was there any significance to the four wreaths she was she was buying in the beginning when she was looking longingly upon that like Jewish family with the menorahs? <laughs> um, I, I did she on. have like four windows or something at her restaurant I, I i couldn't figure that out either like she she only had one and then she left with four yeah it's also kind of a thing established at the beginning that she uses like over decorating as a coping mechanism mm. which is like kind of a weird coping mechanism i mean everybody does their own thing everybody mourns differently so i mean i think the only significance as far as how i read it is that it was like over the top Oh, okay. Because I did a lot of time on those reads. Yeah, that's, like... that's true. I also noticed that at one point David said something about it was really amazing that they had a Christmas tree in the restaurant. Like, no right. one had ever done that before, ever. Right. As if, like, not literally every restaurant does that. It's, and and he was a restaurant critic. Like, it was right. such an odd thing for him to be like, oh, my God, I can't believe no one ever thought of that before. When you're like, um, every restaurant thinks of that. Yeah, that was really, really bizarre. That's a good bingo. Congratulations. So let's think about our our Hanukkah bingo moments, or perhaps a, a Christmas bingo moment, depending on how you want to relate to this movie. Um, Mary, what did you think your bingo moment would be on this one? So I was actually impressed, perhaps negatively impressed, with how easily and sort of like in what a facile way they sort of took the traditional like Christmas bingo movements and just like transposed them to Hanukkah, as if the holidays are celebrated the exact same way. And so my favorite example of this was the menorah lighting that he takes her to, because we've talked multiple times on this show about how public Christmas tree lightings are definitely a Hallmark bingo moment. And that's definitely a thing that they do. I've never heard of like a big public menorah lighting being a thing. I mean, maybe, maybe it could be in a place with a significant Jewish population. I'm not, I doubt it's a thing in Cleveland. I don't know. Oh no, I think that they do them in like the Orthodox neighborhoods in like Brooklyn. So when I was in Crown Heights, like the weirdo Hasids did them, but like a big lighting with singing, and that is that is no tradition of mine. I'll tell you that much. <laughs> So that's definitely a hallmarked Christmas up thing, for sure. Yeah, that's definitely like a transfer from the hallmark Christmas bingo card, essentially. And maybe I'm wrong. Maybe they do this in Cleveland. If you are in Cleveland and have attended a public menorah lighting, we would love to hear from you. I feel like that's the thing I say in the show a lot now. I don't think this thing happens. If I'm wrong, email us. No one's emailed us yet. Um, but if, if you have been to a, a public menorah lighting in Cleveland, we, we are interested in hearing about it. And then similarly, I thought they played the laka making scene with mother and daughter very much like they usually play the Christmas cookie decorating scenes. And so once again, they managed to very simply sort of like transpose what they usually do in the Christmas movies to the Hanukkah movie. That's good. Well, I mean, lakas are, you know, a Hanukkah tradition. And I assume that like families that celebrate the holiday together do make them together. It just seemed like an extremely convenient, like for the way Hallmark played it. They played it as the equivalent to the cookie baking scene, which we are all extremely familiar with if we have seen more than one Hallmark Christmas movie. 
Well, the thing about Hanukkah is that it is, like, such a minor holiday, like, religiously, mm-hmm. that we don't, you know, I have, like, no real, you know, traditions like that. Like, so many of, like, the smaller, ho- it's just because it coincides with Christmas. Is the only right. There's any, like, tradition surrounding it at all, right? So, right. That's, that's, that's why Malacca thing. Also, you know, I come from a, the Jews I come from are, are a little bit more bitter, then. <laughs> now that would be a great Hallmark movie if, if well, we saw like the bitter side of the. We get into the rewrites of it. I got a lot to say. I got a lot of grievances with the film. Oh, excellent! I can't wait. Well, what about your like cheesiest Hanukkah or Christmas moment? Your bingo moment, Diane. Oh God, the cheesiest moment. Oh God, when she got the angel. And oh. she got the, the, the very tacky angel Twitter. What was the guy's name who delivered it? Very Italian name. Oh, gosh. I'm blanking. But, yeah, for background <laughs> information, I skipped this in the summary. She gets an angel to put in the courtyard of the restaurant because this, her mother always wanted one. This is exactly what I was going to talk about as well. Keep going, Diane, and I'll tell you what I and, thought was cheesy about and he And so she gets the angel. Oh, it's so beautiful. The guy says, take good care of her. Corey Matt. <laughs> oh, I will. And then the girl's like, I think he was talking about the angel, whatever. I thought that was bellissimo, if you will. <laughs> yeah, I, I actually thought it was even cheesier when all the power goes out, but the only thing that was lit up in the whole place was the angel in the courtyard. It was very, like, angelic. She kind of always she described it as, like, her mother being there and... That was how to, like, make a Jewish movie Christian, is to have an angel statue, I thought. Like, they're really trying to um, thread an interesting needle here. The Hallmark Christmas movies generally are not explicitly religious, but include some sort of nod to religiosity in the sense that, you know, there's oftentimes, you know, a church choir or, like, a Christmas pageant or, like, uh, there, there's some sign that the characters are indeed like good Christians of some kind. And so here we've got someone who is celebrating two holidays from different religions. And I think like the context in which that makes the most sense is a context in which you see both of those holidays as cultural more than actually religious. But they also have her, you know, with the angel in the courtyard as this sort of Christian religious symbol and then learning Jewish prayers for Hanukkah. And so they're sort of trying to thread this needle between keeping the movie mostly secular, but having her be like something of a good practicant of both religions, which I found a little bit odd. I don't know. What do you guys think of that? Well, and even how she talks about how she can totally continue to do both. And, you know, and I don't know. Yeah, they, they definitely make it about both religions for sure. Well, it's good they got that the mother was Jewish, you know, because even though the mother says that the dad's this Italian guy, you never really know, you know, because mm-hmm. it's a matrilineal religion. The joke is you never right. know if your dad is a, could be the mailman. So in, in that <laughs> thing, it, it certainly kept a traditional life or at least uh, true to the true the faith. Excellent. I like that. Yeah, that's that's a really good point. What about what about hashtag relatable? I am going to really struggle on this one. I did come up with something kind of cheesy, but let me know what you guys came up with. I, I've got one, actually. 
though the one I have, it feels like the movie itself did everything in its power to contradict, but like to no avail. And that is that I think they actually dated and had a relationship and didn't just like meet each other and chastely make eyes at each other for a few days and then declare they were in love. Like, I think they like flirted, got to know each other, went on dates, like did romantic things together and developed the basis for a relationship, which is like how real people do it and which very rarely happens on Hallmark. Although the movie itself went out of its way to act like that wasn't what ha- was happening when he was like, oh, this is a real date, as if they hadn't clearly been on like half a dozen extremely real dates up until this time. What about you, Diane? Did you have anything relatable? When he said he would bring the bagels and locks. Right. <laughs> I, this is my first Hallmark movie, so I'm, I was really looking at it from more of a cultural lens, you know? No, no, that's good. That's good. That's really good. <laughs> I, I found this one a bit, although I would have happily taken the bagels and locks when they brought them because I, I do love that. I think the only thing I could really think of was that I I did an ancestry DNA test. <laughs> that was the only I thing. I don't think I knew I that you did that. Yeah, yeah. My my mother is super into our family tree, and it's been like chasing it for years and years and years. So we we all did them not that long ago. Are you half Jewish? No, I am not half Jewish. But I think one of my favorite things my mom said when I was reading my report back to her, which like primarily Irish and English and a bit of Scottish, and then it's like a little bit of Scandinavian. And mom said, that's from the raping and pillaging. <laughs> wow. So, you know, we have, that, we have that in our history. So that's kind of interesting, I guess. But anyway, that's all I could relate to, I think. Okay. Oh, all right. you know what? I have, so... My mom married this woman who had children from a sperm donor. So my knowledge of those genetic tests is that, you know, the kids, I think, got genetic testing. They found the donor and they had this dibbling party with all of the siblings who share the same sperm donor. So they're also Jewish. Yeah, but they had what they call a dibbling party. I'm trying to think, dare I ask the etymology of dibbling? is Obviously sibling, but where's the D come from? Just like dad? Dad or donor. Oh, donor sibling. Okay, got it. I should have gotten that. Thank you. Interesting. Yeah. Did you take part in the dibbling party? Oh, no, I have a real dad, not a donor. Gotcha. Gotcha. <laughs> this is just my step. That's really interesting. I've never heard of that before. Do, would everyone just like immediately get along after they met at a dibbling party or... Or yeah, do they I mean, do they get to hate each other like other did real siblings or how does it work? I saw pictures. It was like weird. They all had a nice time. They all got along with each other. They were all you know sitting on each other's. I think there was one picture where they were all sitting on the dad's lap. And mind you, these people are like in their mid thirties. <laughs> that's a little bit weird. Not gonna lie. <laughs> that weird. is very weird. But I feel like you gotta have a certain kind of like weird pathology to be a sperm donor and then get all of your uh, Dildren. <laughs> Dildren, oh my god. <laughs> That's great. How many, how many Dildren did he have, do you know? Well, my step-siblings are twins, and I think there were, like, five th- kids at the, at the party. Okay. And okay. so, I guess, at least six. Wow. Yeah. Good for him. What a, what a dude. Yeah, what, what a bench, you know? That's right. <laughs> That's right. Spreading the love. I love it. That's great. Spreading the love takes on a new meaning. Exactly. I, exactly. Yeah. 
Okay. Should we do you want to think about the rewrite now? I feel like we've sort of summed it up pretty quickly, but you know, there wasn't a lot to go on really with this one. Right. They did, this movie did something typical of Hallmark, which is there's not really strong conflict. And in as much as there is a conflict, it's a psychological one within Christina, who is dealing with the loss of her mom and the sort of guilt over having like replaced her, which could be a compelling conflict, except that Hallmark's strength, as we know, is never psychological depth. So anytime there's not actually any sort of external thing going on, it <laughs> it becomes extremely conflict-free, which in other words is kind of plot-free. So I, I did actually forget something that I wanted to mention. When I look, and this is literally Mia Kirshner's bio on the Hallmark Channel app. Journalist's father was born in a displaced camp in Germany, and her mother was a Bulgarian Jewish refugee, and she studied Russian literature and blah, 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 and she decided to study acting. And then it says, Kirshner portrayed a young clairvoyant dominatrix in Love and Human Remains before her memorable turn in Exotica. <laughs> I just thought that was like such a funny description of her acting career for Hallmark to put on here. That's something I never expected to hear in an official Hallmark Channel bio, and that's amazing. She even was in The L Word, and they talk about that as well. Wow. Um, so, and the Black Dahlia movie, where she actually played the Black Dahlia, I believe. So, you know, it's like quite not Hallmark her career, and then to have done this, and then to to put it on their website. I thought it was brilliant. It was so, so not Hallmark. I feel like she's trolling them, and I, I respect it. <laughs> That's right. She's like, you're going to talk about the rest of my career, whether you want to or not. But So what do you guys think... Um... Well, what's the number one thing you would change about this movie if you were to rewrite it? I think that in any rewriting, to make it like a good movie would be to make it a little bit more Jewish. The The humor was lacking. They did make efforts to uh, make it funny with some with some jokes injected. For example, what was it with the chocolatka? You're asking a latka or the, you know... Yeah, they definitely seem, they have the punny friend who kept making up Latka puns, and it definitely seemed to be almost like he was nodding at kind of like the Jewish-American comedy tradition, but like not doing it well. Yeah, but, and, but there were so many ways that like, you know, they could have done right comedy tradition well. I could see a lot of curb moments, you know, seven fishes on Christmas Eve. Uh, oh, whoops, no one can eat anything. ha, 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 ha. Because yeah, you know, all this, all the uh, shellfish is is not not kosher. Right. Um, in the in the beginning, when she's, um, I just can't get over the opening scenes where she's shopping for those wreaths and, and looking longingly at the Jewish family all together. Um, <laughs> I, Around I, like the two tiny decorations that in that entire shop that happened to be relating to Hanukkah, I would add. And, you know, it, it is one thing I will say, the uh, mother and her, her dreidel collection, very much uh, not a Jewish thing to, to collect those. But most strikingly was the reference to picking up this, this old ornament in, in Austria, thinking about my family dinners and uh, any conversation uh, <laughs> Austria were to come up, you just hear about, you know, the camps <laughs> immediately and whose uh, cousins are, are dead. 
So, you know, it could have had some very Curb-esque humor in there, would have, you know, given it more of a plot. Um, but we know that Hallmark cannot do, well, A, Hallmark can't do humor. B, they definitely can't do tragedy. And C, they sure as hell can't combine those two things. You definitely can't do dark humor. Well, or have, like, any real genuine nod to history, <laughs> I feel right. like. Like, that would just be... I mean, to be fair, that would probably be a much more interesting movie. And I think the generic Hallmark crowd would definitely be perfect to be educated on some of these things that they don't know anything about, potentially. But, yeah, they that's not Hallmark's specialty. Even though, surely they would want to get more customers if they could just, like, appeal to people sending cards for different other holidays rather than Christian ones. I mean, I'm sure they make Hanukkah cards. If, if you can think of a thing, I'm sure Hallmark makes a card for it. I think this is a good idea, sort of like keeping the plot, but adding tension that could potentially add comedy. And so do you think it'd be fair to say that it'd be a more interesting movie if, uh, you know, there were more sort of like tension involved in Christina learning these traditions and her new family learning her traditions and maybe not always agreeing on them or maybe not always getting them right or like trying and failing. I don't know. What do you think? Oh yeah, for sure. And maybe throw a little bit of Yiddish in there, but there is, there is a lot to go off of. Right. So, you know, I used to go down to Florida because my ex very Italian Catholic family and to make me feel welcomed they would have a uh, box of matzah on <laughs> <laughs> as like a Hanukkah treat. How, how thoughtful. <laughs> very, very thoughtful. Very, very <laughs> nice. But, you know, just uh, throw a box of matzah in there. You know, she could kind of gift wrap. Shalom brought it to him first day. It's a funny joke. Um, yeah, like that would have been good if she had shown up to meet you know, Becky's family, knowing that Becky's family is Jewish and that they are now her family and shown up with some sort of like token thing like matzah that was like really like well-meaning but inappropriate and like everybody kind of laughed at. Yeah, just these these subtleties that really could have uh, brought the film truly to life. And another complaint that I would have would be about Ben Savage. We talked about this a little bit. I think that he... And we we kind of debated amongst ourselves whether Ben was actually a good actor or not, which potentially is the bigger problem. But I think he has more talent than he was able to give in this movie. And so if he could be a part of some of this comedy, I think that would make it a much more interesting. Like if he became more of like a Woody Allen-esque character, it could be a lot more interesting and entertaining for sure. For sure. And when I think about, you know, the Jewish people culturally represented in in television beyond just Seinfeld and Curb, there's an episode of Sex in the City where uh, Carrie dates a Jewish novelist or whatever. So in this one, in, in the Sex in the City episode, Carrie's having a ball because they're all open about sex and being weirdos. And they're like decidedly, you know, a very Jewish family in that very nice secular way that, that I can relate to. Whereas this family, you know, the... The Jewish element was honestly lost, and I guess like by necessity in a Hallmark film, that's like to be expected if there is no humor, if there's no tragedy, if there's history, because in that episode of Sex in the City, you know, you had the hippie sister who was a lesbian and talked about it a lot, 
and you had the mom making fun of her son's like dick that didn't work or whatever. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. <laughs> well, either way, you know, if there was just a little uh, any any sort of elements of that in in this film, it it could have been improved, made a little bit more Jewish. Um, but actually, you know what did stick out to me about this when he was saying the prayer? He goes, "Well, the first one starts off this way." Every single Jewish prayer starts off the same way. So that was just one thing that I that I noticed. I didn't write it down and it just popped in my head right now, but I was- have to I think I actually noticed that myself because of, of, of Sex in the City with Charlotte when she becomes Jewish. I remember her singing something that sounded very similar to the that Hanukkah song that they sang or prayer it- that they did. It right. seems like it would have right. been such an easy fix to make in the script instead of him saying, well, the first one starts this way if he had just said every Jewish prayer starts this way. <laughs> and then like, because, you know, it's just so painfully obvious by not saying that, that they're writing it for an audience who won't know. Right. I don't know. Maybe Hallmark will give me a job for their next, uh, <laughs> their next Hanukkah film. Maybe, maybe in the unlikely event that hallmark execs are watching right now we we think diane can help you make it funnier but and you can still cast ben savage though we we think he's cute yeah we like him or i think he's cute i don't know if i can speak for everyone but so adding some of this tension and you know people doing the wrong things sometimes saying the wrong things making jokes about saying the wrong things being in awkward situations which would likely result from discovering that you have another family with a different heritage and a different religion. So besides that, I think another thing this movie could use is a little bit more conflict, which is very typical with Hallmark movies, especially because there's no real conflict keep there's no real conflict keeping Christina and David away, and that's fine. There doesn't need to be. We can continue to have their relationship develop kind of like a normal relationship, which I commented was like one of the more realistic things about this movie. But to add some conflict in I don't know. Maybe we could introduce Giorgio sooner. Maybe we could introduce the father sooner and there could be some conflict related to Ruth getting in touch with him. Maybe he does not hear from her and immediately say that it's the best thing to happen to him all year. Maybe he doesn't immediately know how to react to having a daughter he hasn't known about who's probably now like 30. You know, like maybe Ruth and Giorgio, there's clearly like chemistry hinted at in the movie as it is but um there could be conflict around that maybe they want to decide whether or not they want to see each other again maybe the other children aren't sure how they feel about this because they've never heard of this guy that their mother was married to and had another kid with introducing him sooner could also add something to the film just in terms of like bulking up the plot a little you know yeah i think that it would have been nice if the mother had sent for him like after that conversation she has when she gets the phone number like, why not call? Why not buy the plane ticket? Why not have him there for that last night as a surprise? Which, as Diane pointed out when we were not recording, like most Hallmark families, this family is, like, improbably wealthy. They obviously have a beautiful house. And as far as we can tell, on money they made from a sports deli, which, you know, probably does not make most people tons of money. But that's, like, a regular Hallmark thing, is that people, like, run a Christmas tree farm and live in a mansion. That was so. my- Thing is a sports deli. <laughs> what is a sports deli? I'm not opposed to it, but I, I think I need to understand the concept better. I mean, conceptually, it's fine. It doesn't actually make any sense conceptually because you know you have delis and you have sports bars, and like with a deli, you get a meal, and you're not going to watch a full game, right? 
because right. you're just eating a meal and you got to turn over tables. And at a sports bar, you drink beer and watch sports and there's like not a lot of turnover. So there's no way to like have, and this is the thing that gets me, this is how you know they're not Jewish because this isn't a profitable venture, having a sports deli. Sure, you can have a deli and you can have pictures of athletes up, but you're not going to turn tables fast enough to make any money in a sports deli. I wonder if this is Hallmark, like, just being mildly uncomfortable with having them just run a bar. Or a deli. But it's just, like, you gotta lean into one or the other, you know? Right. But, I mean, delis are traditionally Jewish, so this would have been a good plot point. But the sports addition to it is just ridiculous. There could have been a sports bar, or there could have been a deli. But Hallmark, again, tries to tries to thread a lot of needles that result in some weird combinations, so. Yeah. Anything else that you guys would change in our rewrite? There were things that, that I was nitpicky about and I noticed, but all of these things are just Hallmark-esque things. And so mm-hmm. they're not going to be, you know, but I've never met a, a Jewish person who's decorated for the holidays or for the Hanukkah holidays. So yeah, they definitely I, I, wanted it to be a Christmas movie, except... Nominally except not America. except a different a different religion but i do think that making it more i don't know ent- it just wasn't very entertaining I, I didn't really connect with any of the people really i thought that that they also really and i know they needed to get there quickly but like i don't think you sit down with this woman who you just met and be like oh shit i'm your mother like in the first 30 seconds of the meal like, don't you think that, I don't know, not that we would have, you couldn't really change that too much because the whole movie is about that they've already discovered that. But I did think that was very bizarre, that all the siblings were okay with it. Nobody really got upset. She, I guess, Christina got a little bit upset. But, like, they, she immediately was like, oh, there's no way on earth that the, the 100%, without a doubt, you are my daughter, just, like, happened at this same brunch, which just seemed a bit weird to me. Though, to be fair, in a kind of unhallmark way, they did at least nod to the fact that that was difficult and unrealistic, where, like, the mother realizes it because she asked what hospital she was born in, and she asked her birthday. And to be fair, it would be, uh, you would kind of know that. She doesn't give a year, because in true hallmark fashion, they never give a year because they want everything to be timeless. But if you did determine, like, that the day you gave birth to a child who was given up for adoption in this particular hospital... Like, it's unlikely that there was another baby girl born that day in that hospital given up for adoption. It's it's probably the same kid. That's um, true. And then they met through a DNA test, which, like, again, increases the possibility. They know yeah, that yeah, they're yeah. close relatives somehow. So, I mean, it is likely that that information would, in fact, seal it for her. And they do make some nod to the fact that it's kind of awkward to just bring it up right there in front of everyone. Because she has this realization and they're all like, what's wrong? And she's like, this isn't the time and place. And then they kind of push her and she's kind of like, fine, I'm your mom. That's Which that, that could have been funny. That could have been funny. Yeah, they did. They, I guess you're right. They did sort of figure that out. Um, and they needed to, to make the movie more interesting. Yeah. But yeah. And I, I also thought that, which Mary, you mentioned while we were watching the movie, like having the ability to adapt as a single mother in the 80s would have been highly unlikely, I would have thought. Yeah. I, I so, don't like, was that even like, I, I, I don't know what U.S. adoption law was like in the 80s. Like, could you adopt as a single person in the 80s? I honestly don't know. I, I have no idea, but you definitely didn't 
have the like single parent thing like you might do now but I, I don't know that was unless like the kid was adopted and then the dad died or something you know like that would there might be single parents who adopted people then but not like just on a mission she actually had no dad and I thought they didn't really capitalize on the fact that because she had no dad they definitely could have brought the Italian guy over sooner like there was no dad figure at all you definitely would be excited to meet that guy I would have thought sooner right like there's this conflict with meeting Ruth that there wouldn't be with meeting Giorgio because with Ruth there's the sort of like guilt associated with like replacing Sophia right Right. replacing her adoptive mother but with Giorgio like she's never had a dad there's no one to be replaced he's got sort of a free pass in an interesting way and that could have been another conflict you know because it's not really fair that she would feel that way about Giorgio and not Ruth but it is natural and that could be another conflict that could have been deepened a bit yeah, they, they definitely missed out on some opportunities to make the story a bit less wooden and, you know, make it more entertaining and potentially educational for people who don't know much about this culture that is obviously overlooked on the Hallmark Channel pretty regularly. So, and they you know, did their, have their some crowd sort of doesn't kind know of... much, I ever thought. They did have some things that clearly, like, by Hallmark standards, they saw as pedagogical moments where you had, like, the kids explaining, like, the miracle of you know, the oil that lasted eight nights. Except that, like, I, as somebody who was raised Catholic in this country, like, knew that story, and I think most people do. And so, like, if if they wanted it to be at all pedagogical, they would have had to have go a bit, gone a bit deeper than that. Well, let's see. Usually we talk about the, the newest movies. The premieres for 2021, I'm guessing, are... Taking a Shot at Love, which, of course, we saw the preview for that. A New Year's Resolution, which we're keen to take a look at. Two for the Win. Love in the Alps. And Snow Kissed. Any takers on what any of those might be about? But Two for the Win has a small dog in the picture. <laughs> oh, my God. I hope they're puppy twins. And that's uh, why there are two of them. They're puppies that are twins. Well, that could be. That's a good yes. one. Fun fact I learned recently, puppies can be identical twins. Oh, really? Yeah. Really. They discovered this, according to my friend, I can't like cite sources. I'm sure she could if I got in touch with her. So they discovered this not too long ago. A veterinarian was performing a C-section on a dog and noticed that two of the puppies in the litter were sharing an amniotic sac and so um and everybody was fine all the puppies survived all the mother the mother survived everything and so when they were a little bit bigger and it was healthy to do so he um dna tested the two puppies and discovered that they had identical dna and they were in fact identical twins oh my god that is so amazing mm-hmm. i would like to know the difference between love in the alps and snow kissed because they sound like they could maybe be the same movie love in the alps and snow kissed I mean, snow-kissed, you could be snow-kissed anywhere, but I kind of want to make it some sort of, like, Frozen-esque ice queen thing where the person, when kissed, like, freezes, and, like, that's the conflict. Yes, I like that. And then Love in the Alps? I mean, I don't know. I want to be in Love in the Alps. I know. Who wouldn't? One of my friends recently told me he was, uh, he's not that into skiing, but he's really good at apres ski. And maybe the the girl just like sits in the chalet waiting for the people, the guys to come off their skiing and then picks them up there. I actually, okay, I don't ski and I don't really have a strong interest in skiing and I'm not athletic in any sense. 
But if I had the sort of money to be taking ski vacations, which I don't, I think it would be super fun to like be on a ski vacation and not ski, to like sit in the lodge and like drink hot beverages, hang out and like do wintry things and like walk around in the snow and like not ski. <laughs> we used to go every year to the Rockies in Montana and ski on spring break. And um, we all can ski, except my parents don't. So they would sit and wait for us. But then they also had like, you could go tubing, they had a tubing area. You could just sit in the hot tub outside all day. That, but, that would know, be nice. Yeah, there's plenty of things. And, and my mom used to even like take the big gondola to the top to just go up to that chalet and have a drink up there and then take the gondola down. <laughs> there still is plenty of things to do. You know, I, I have to admit, I'm not that big of a skier anymore. I actually don't really enjoy being outside in the cold for long periods of time. So, so I don't think I would like to do it anymore. But the concept of being in a village like that when it's snowing and it's kind of Christmassy and all hallmarky actually does sound like fun if I'm just sitting around and drinking with my friends all day. Exactly. Now, since this is Hallmark, I'm going to assume that there's um, an enchanted cuckoo clock in the Alps. Ooh, and um, sort of inspired by a timeless Christmas that we saw this year, this enchanted cuckoo clock will, I, I don't know, should we have a two time travel shit? Should we have it do other shit? Maybe somehow they end up like inside the cuckoo clock life. Oh shit. That, man, that could get, that. this could be a horror movie. That's true. That's true. This could be Ooh. like Alpine Midsummer. And, or, or maybe it's just more like Sound of Music alpine family <laughs> i mean scared. still like you end up tracked in a, a cuckoo clock and even if it's like a little sound of music alpine paradise that's still going to end up feeling like you know a wintry version of midsummer and and how do you get out is like the whole point of the movie how can you get back to the, your life with your i don't know family and friends uh, in the alps and suddenly before you know it you're winter may queen and somebody's in a bear costume that's true that's true <laughs> but but surely the love interest is actually a part of the cuckoo clock oh god man and she has to get him out of the cuckoo clock yes it's like she wants if to go back to her regular life and like, forever yeah right she can she take it, it like can he handle the normal world and maybe yeah. he can't and this remains a horror movie i don't know that's right and he only knows how to do the same thing over and over like every half an hour or whatever <laughs> so, right. so he's not really coping with this world outside of the cuckoo clock well, we're not really sure, like I said, what movies we're going to watch, although we're keen to check out the New Year's one. We might watch this Love in the Alps one now. Um, and we definitely think the hockey one sounds of interest. But I think regardless of what happens, there's one thing we know for sure, and that is they, they will. They will fall in love. Correct. Well, thank you, Diane, for joining us and giving us your um, inside scoop on how this was not funny enough for sure or realistic enough that was very helpful well you know it's very important that everyone gets a, a taste of the real the real culture um <laughs> but thank you so much for having me i love listening to the show and so i'm excited for more of them and i'm honored to be oh, here. excellent excellent Ho hopefully we'll have a few more next year maybe that we'll be able to get your help on too oh yeah hell yeah this was very very fun thanks no worries. Thanks for coming. Yeah. And we'll we'll see you next time. See ya. Yep. Bye, everyone. Uh, Happy 2021, everyone. That's right. 21.
Thank you for listening to Hallmark Doc. Find us online at hallmarkdoc.com, on Instagram at Hallmark Doc, and on Facebook at Hallmark Doc with Mary and Sarah. Remember to follow, listen, and review wherever you get your podcasts.